0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Morning Report podcast on the Neurology Exam Review podcast from the Yale School of Medicine. I'm Dr. Jeff Dewey. I'm an assistant professor of neurology with a specialty in neuromuscular medicine, and I'm also the associate program director here. Today, we're joined by Dr. Pugh Farouk, who's an associate professor of neurology with a specialty in epilepsy. And we have some of our recurring classic resident guests, Dr. Chris Trainer and Dr. Lindsay McAlpine, our current and incoming education chiefs, respectively. And today, Dr. Trainer is going to present a case for us. So Dr. Farouk and Dr. Trainer, why don't you take it away? So
1: I have a 63-year-old gentleman who came in as a stroke code for acute lethargy and altered mental status. Basically, his story is he's 63, he has just GERD, and he takes a PPI, but otherwise is that's right healthy, know uh, their past medical history, and does see his doctor regularly. And he basically became acutely lethargic and slow to respond around three in the afternoon. The wife was the one that noticed it. She said that they had gone out to walk their dog slightly before this had happened. And during the walk, he seemed to not be himself. She couldn't really elaborate further other than he just kind of wasn't acting normally. And she did not say that he had pointed out something like on their walk, like, oh, look at that nice bush that are." neighbors had multiple times when they walked by it on the way out and on the way back, um, which she said was a little weird for him. And then when they got in from the walk, she said that he said he was tired and wanted to lay down. So he went to go lay down. And then at three o'clock when she went to go see how he's doing, which is about 15, 20 minutes, she found him very somnolent. And the daughter, who is a nurse that lives with them, said she had to, quote, sternal rub him in order to get him to arouse. And when he did, they noticed that he was just very off and not really able to communicate with them or attend with them. And so they called the ambulance and he came into the hospital.
2: So one question um, in regards to what the wife saw when they were walking, was this Mm a sudden onset where she just kind of noticed that he was a little bit off or was he completely normal? And then this was kind of a gradual process.
1: It was kind of gradual, I guess I would say, based on her description. Like I said, when they first went out, she felt like everything was normal, but then she started to notice like slowly as they were going that he became more and more unlike himself and just like was slower to respond to her questions. And, Then she thought something was wrong when he had repeated, you know, the same thing over and over. And she's like, that's really atypical. But she thought maybe he was just tired. But yeah, it seemed like kind of a progressive onset of symptoms.
2: And did she notice any type of facial expressions, any repetitive eye blinking, lip smacking, swallowing, any repetitive movements? When he spoke to her, was he able to answer questions or was it just kind of yes, no, nodding, or was it just very slow to process and and slow to respond?
1: So she said his responses were normal; they were just slower to come out. He was able to talk with her and have a normal conversation, but his speech was like slower than uh, was typical, and it just took him longer amount of time to give the same response that she said usually would be much quicker.
2: Okay. And then it seems like kind of he came home, and then it was kind of a worsening in terms of his depression of mental status, right? Like
1: correct. Yes.
2: That maybe he was like more lethargic, and then became very somnolent to uptunded once he got home.
1: Correct. Yes. Any
3: similar episodes in the past? Maybe less severe?
1: Nope. This is the first time anything like this has happened to him.
2: And any new medications or anything new that he's done?
1: Nope. The only medication that he was on, as I mentioned, is um, Protonix as an outpatient, which he's been on for, I believe, five or 10 years. It was not a new medication for him.
2: And in terms of his gait, when he was walking, it was fine. Like He wasn't dragging his leg. He wasn't unsteady on his feet.
1: No. So while they were walking the dog, he was totally fine physically. She wasn't concerned about his physical health, just his uh, mental status.
2: So what are some thoughts that are running through your head in terms of somebody who's having kind of co- progressive, gradual worsening worsening of their mental status without any real true deficits from what you're describing currently?
3: So I'm thinking about a few different etiologies. So when it's acute onset, I think vascular does come to my mind, especially if it's in the posterior circulation I think metabolic toxic should definitely be on the list as well. Was he drinking recently? Did he stop drinking? Things like that. And then also seizures on the list. His age, I know it has a bimodal distribution and he's in that second peak of of new onset seizure And, and then also given he repeated himself a few times, I would think of transient global amnesia as well. Although typically you're not somnolent or, or, or less responsive during that.
2: Right, you just have more perseverative and emotional speech phenomenon at that time. So I agree with vascular events um, definitively, but even like an acute vascular event, there must be some level of either hydrocephalus or herniation, right? Increase in blood pressure that's causing him then to become somnolent. Um, So it's really possible that he could have had some type of bleed um, and then worsening, like I said, hydrocephalus or herniation that's causing the change in mental status. And, And that's very possible. You know, based on what Chris is saying, it doesn't really sound like it was so acute the the process, it, it seems like this was kind of a very gradual process. So I think toxic metabolic, is some type of infectious process definitely it is something to be considered, but it doesn't sound like he had any signs of infection, right, Chris? Like no fevers, no chills. Like, I mean, he was completely normal, completely fine. So what type of seizure would you have in order for this to happen?
3: I think it would be focal onset, Um, So it could be temporal. He's repeating himself, not remembering correctly. And then it could, you know, if he laid down for the nap, he didn't feel right. He could have seized, had a bilateral tonic-clonic seizure after that, and then been post-ictal by the time that the family found him.
2: No, I agree. So it sounds like it's a focal seizure. You know, it could actually be unfortunately coming from anywhere. It could be temporal. It could be parietal that's propagating to the temporal region or even occipital where you're not getting any sensory symptoms, distortion of body images, or even visual symptoms if it's coming from the occipital lobe. And then if it's progressing, I mean, he could be in non-convulsive status, which is then leading to his change in mental status. So then what happened?
1: Yeah. So as I mentioned, he came in as a stroke code. So um, when the resident saw him, his uh, vital signs were within normal limits. His blood pressure was 138 over 81. He was satting well in room air, normal pulse. He was afebrile with a temperature of 98.3 and his finger stick was 90. So all kind of normal stroke markers. I
2: mean, it's probably less likely, right, that this is some type of hydrocephalus or even herniation process. So when we were thinking about vascular and then going to more increased pressure, I mean, just based on what you're describing, it doesn't sound like it. it that any longer.
1: Yeah, and his NIH stroke scale was one. Uh, the resident graded him one for drowsy, but in the exam, when they described his drowsiness, it was more of an inattention. So it wasn't that they had to keep waking him up, but more that they had to keep prompting him to do things, and it took him, you know, longer to respond, which is kind of what the wife, which was in keeping with what the wife had described. Um, but otherwise, his NIH stroke scale was otherwise negative, so he just had the one point for drowsiness. And then I actually went down an exam myself with uh, the resident afterwards because it was kind of an interesting story and other things that we picked up on exams. So medical exam was normal. His mental status, I would describe as he was alert um, when I saw him, um, which was an improvement. The though wife thought he was better in terms of his alertness, but he had complete inattention. So he was unable to even spell world forwards or backwards. It was just completely um, impossible for him to attend to a task. He was able to do simple midline commands, but trying to do more complex commands he would uh you would tell him the command and he would like look at you know, his hand or something, like he was going to, you know, move his right thumb to his left earlobe. But then he would be like, what did you ask me to do? Like he couldn't remember what I had said. His memory exam, he was able to register three out of three words, but had a delayed recall of zero out of three after just a couple of minutes, which the wife said would be highly abnormal for him. His speech was fine, though. He was able to name, repeat, he was able to read, and he had no clear dysarthria. And then the rest of his neuro exam was normal. So his reflexes were normal. His strength was five out of five in all four extremities. He had no sensory deficits. He was able to walk without assistance, and physically looked fine. It was really just the mental status um, piece of it. And then, rapid imaging-wise, before I had seen him, he did have a CT and a CTA, which were both read as normal.
2: So, um, based on what you're describing, it sounds like his mental status at home was much worse, right?
1: Correct. Yes.
2: And then it seems like, and once he got to the emergency room, it had dramatically improved. And then even it seems like it improved from when. The, um, the PGY2 saw him versus you even, right? Correct. So somebody who has kind of improving or worsening mental status and then improves, what does that make you guys think of more so than anything else? Makes me lean towards seizure. Yeah. And it sounds like maybe that he was, or he is in a postictal state currently, right? It may have been that he was in a seizure when they found him or he was just recovering from one. And then when you guys saw him at that point, he's kind of slowly returning back to his baseline. Now, when he was home, um, did they describe anything where they heard any noises? The room was, was the bed that he was lying in. It was still neat, like it wasn't disheveled or disrupted at all. Things hadn't fallen down.
1: Yeah, so they had no, no recollection of any sort of noises in terms of when he was laying down. He was actually lying on the couch in the living room, and the wife was in the kitchen just like a stone's throw away, she said. So while she couldn't see him fully, like, she was basically like 10 feet away, so noise-wise, she would have heard anything.
2: Yeah, any heavy breathing, no. uh, any loud scream, no grunting choking, and it didn't look like the the couch was in a disarray or anything like that.
1: No, and he had just laid down. He had no blankets on, so there was nothing really to disarray per se, but no, she said everything appeared normal, and she didn't hear anything out of the ordinary.
0: Dr. Frug, we often will ask, in terms of a possible seizure history, did the patient lose control over their urine or, or bite their tongue? What's the clinical sensitivity of that historical feature?
2: The thing with urinary incontinence is that it can happen with other different types of episodes of loss of consciousness. So that can occur with a vasovagal syncope. It can also occur with any type of underlying cardiac arrhythmia. Tongue bite typically is more sensitive towards something, the an epileptic process. That being said, people with non-epileptic seizures or um, attack will also sometimes complain of biting their tongue. But, you know, typically if you see a laceration of the tongue, which is what you will mostly see in patients who have a convulsion or a bilateral tonic-clonic seizure, that tells you that most likely this was an underlining epileptic process rather than something that was non-epileptic. And non-epileptic, right, can be cardiac or a psychogenic non-epileptic attack as well. And they didn't see any of that, right, Chris? There was no yearning Continence or tongue bait or anything?
1: There is not, no.
2: And so mainly what you're finding on exam is more attention. So difficulty processing. So it's more processing speed, more attention. And it seems like the memory part may be a processing issue rather than an encoding issue. It's unclear, right? And then following crossbody commands also seems to be problematic. So in terms of like dysfunction, where does that localize to? Just overall brain lobe?
3: Temporal lobes.
2: So it's temporal and frontal, you know, the in, uh, attention piece, the processing piece is going to be more frontal. And the reason I said more that it could be more processing that's related to the memory as opposed to encoding, because encoding would tell you that it's more of a hippocampal based or, or temporal process. So I would say that based on what you're describing, it sounds more frontal in nature, but I don't think that necessarily tells you where the seizure actually is arising from, because as you stated that if you had a seizure it was likely focal, right? So meaning that it started in a particular place and then it spread to involve a larger area of the brain or, or to involve the entire area if it's going to progress to a bilateral tonic-clonic seizure. So we don't know necessarily whether he had just a focal-impaired seizure where it started in a particular area of the brain and then kind of spread to a larger area, or if he had... Uh, focal to bilateral tonic-clonic seizure where it started in one area and then kind of spread to involve the rest of the brain. So in either circumstances, it could be that it started somewhere and then it involved the frontal lobe, right? Which is now what you're kind of seeing is recovering. So based on his current symptoms, it doesn't help you to necessarily localize, I think, where the seizure arose from. But you you know, just based on his symptoms, the fact that he's recovering, those things all tell you that likely this was an epileptic seizure and that most likely he's in a postictal state. So then to help you to kind of localize, what um, else do you want to know or what else would you do?
3: I would get an MRI with and without contrast epilepsy protocol. And then I would also put him on EEG, preferably as soon as possible to see if we can find any any focal irritation postictally.
2: So I think the concern is that he is returning back to baseline, but he's not still at baseline, right? So your concern at this point is, is this continued to be a, a postictal state or is he having, let's say, electrographic or subclinical seizures that's affecting his mental status, right? Where he's having difficulty processing and, and paying attention. And so that's where the EEG is going to help you with that. And then hopefully that would tell you pr- potentially where the seizures are arising from. MRI is going to help you to kind of figure out etiology, right? You know why, okay, so at the age of 63, you know, why is he having new onset seizures? And in this age group, what is the usual cause for why people start having seizures?
3: Previous subclinical stroke or lesion mass
2: an underlining lesion, right? Whether it's a old stroke or if it's an underlining tumor. So that's where the MRI is going to help you. And so the first question you had asked Chris before was, did he ever have symptoms like this prior? And that would be helpful to know as well, right? Because if he describes episodes where he has intense fear or this epigastric sensation or where he has a deja vu or some type of nausea, vomiting that happens, I mean, that would tell you that this could be a, a temporal lobe process or a temporal lobe um, seizure that he had or if he describes episodes where he always gets this numbness tingling on one side of his body that can tell you that maybe it's parietal Um, or if he describes you know colors or images that kind of grow and multiply that could tell you that maybe it's an occipital process. Or if he describes, you know, um, formed images that could tell you that maybe it is temporal parietal occipital. So depending on if he's had any symptoms prior and what he describes that can also help you to localize and see, you know, where possibly this is coming from. But it doesn't seem like he's ever had any symptoms like this prior, right?
1: Yeah. So when I saw him, we went through kind of the standard battery of kind of seizure-related questions. So no significant head traumas in his life, no seizures as a child. His development was normal. And he doesn't remember anyone in his family ever having seizures. And the wife agreed. He never had meningitis or encephalitis that was that they were aware of. And yeah, in terms of other kind of classic seizure semiologies, many of the things you described, he denied pretty much ever having any sort of transient neurologic phenomenon prior to what brought him into the hospital this time.
2: What's one other thing that you have to think about, given that he's also in his 60s? So most likely we said that it would be some type of lesion, right? So it could be, like we said, a stroke or a tumor. You also worry about neurodegenerative processes. But what's something else that you want to keep in mind about somebody who has new onset seizures at this age?
3: Perhaps an autoimmune encephalitis.
2: So what are some of the questions that you would ask related to that?
3: any personal history of autoimmune disease. And I would also look for focal kind of symptoms suggesting malignancy and underlying malignancy that could be contributing
2: personality changes right Um, any mood changes um, any cognitive issues any um, behavioral disturbances or insomnia so you also want to ask about like personality changes mood changes cognitive changes if they've noticed anything because that would also give you a clue that this is possibly an autoimmune process anything like that chris
1: No. So the wife, like I said, was most concerned because this really wasn't a kind of an acute change for him and that otherwise, you know, they've been married for 25 years. She said he's been the same, really no differences. There was no concern for any psychiatric changes, no recent kind of life changes or life stressors, you know, that made her concerned for like a psychiatric symptom or something like that. And she denied feeling that cognitively he was different. He was still working. He works as an accountant and there was no concern. She said she had not heard of any concerns from his job and he was still performing his job without feeling like he was having any difficulties.
2: So any other questions that you guys have, or you want to just go straight to the test? Um, You mentioned EEG and MRI. So I guess one question I have for you is what would you do first, the MRI or the EEG? What do you think is going to be most helpful? I mean, I'm not sure that there's a right or wrong answer, but clinically, what would you think?
3: I think since his CT and his CTA was grossly normal and didn't show any large mass or anything like that, I would want to get him on EEG as quick as possible.
2: Okay, I agree with that because I think right now, based on Chris's exam, he's still not back to baseline. He's improving, but he's not back to where he is. And so, as we stated, right, your concern is this is maybe a postictal process, or maybe it's very possible that he's having subclinical seizures, um, and that's something that you're going to treat. So, based on that, you know, that's kind of going to give you a dichotomy as to what you may or may not do. So, it's probably best to do the EEG first, and then you can always do an MRI thereafter. If you know he was completely back to his baseline he was completely normal, then I'm not sure, you know, then probably imaging like MRI would be more relevant than the EEG in terms of just order. Um, You're going to do both things, but in terms of, you know, when you do it, um, at that point, the MRI may have been more relevant than the EEG. So what did he get done first then, Chris?
1: He had the EEG done because I thought the similar to what we had just described that given that he wasn't completely back to baseline, there was a possibility of ongoing seizures or post dictal period that we could at least catch maybe some slowing or something.
2: Before we go to the EEG and, mm-hmm. and you did <clears throat> so in now we're assuming that this guy had a seizure. Um, so this would be his first seizure right that he's had based on what you guys have described so would you start so forget what the MRI and EEG shows what's your clinical suspicion for treating him now at this point like starting him on an anti drug
3: I, I think that's tricky because I would want I would want to know if there's a lesion and if that puts him at higher risk for recurrent seizures and then I would want to make sure I ruled out alcohol benzo other other things is like a triggering factor, whether it was clearly provoked or unprovoked, before I started anything.
2: So the ILE definition now of seizure is just one event, right? One epileptic seizure. That's any type of abnormal behavior or movement that's due to you know excess electrical activity that's caused by your brain and some underlying either abnormality on your MRI or EEG that puts you at subsequent risk for having subsequent seizures prior the definition used to be recurrent so meaning more than one unprovoked seizures and so now it's changed that even after one and if you have an abnormal EEG or abnormal MRI given that it puts you at a higher risk for having subsequent seizures that is now considered to be epilepsy so your answer is correct that after one seizure, you can't make a decision about treatment. You do need the MRI, you do need the EEG. So if everything is normal after one event, you don't necessarily have to treat because you only have about a 30% chance of having subsequent seizures over two years. If any of those tests are abnormal, then now obviously you have a definition of epilepsy and your risk for recurrence was up to about 60%. And then once you have two, then it's over 85, 90%. So your risk does increase. So I agree with you, you wouldn't start treatment necessarily. You could treat an acute seizure if you was to have something you think of a benzo, but you necessarily would not start something without um, getting an MRI or EEG. So you did the EEG first and what did that show, Chris?
1: Yeah. So he came in just to give a time course. He came in around 4.45 PM when the stroke code happened and his EEG was started at 6.14. He was on- So he had his EEG. He was on for about 97 minutes. We had just ordered a routine and then with the decision to extend if we saw something. So he was on for 90 minutes and his EEG was completely normal. He had a well-formed background, a nine hertz posterior dominant rhythm. They did catch drowsiness with both K-complexes and sleep spindles that were normal. And there was no epileptiform discharges, epileptiform patterns, or slowing of his background. So he was completely normal, but importantly was still clinically not back to his baseline according to the wife who was sitting at the base, at the bedside.
2: Um, but at least so then you knew that his mental status at that point was probably not related to underlining or ongoing seizure activity and that most likely this is still just a post process. Yeah.
1: So he was admitted, you know, had the EEG and then the MRI was scheduled for the next morning. So when I went to see the patient and his wife the next morning, the first thing is I walked into the room and then he said, who are you? And I was like, oh, I'm, you know, Dr. Trainer, I saw you yesterday. And he's like, I never met you yesterday. So he had absolutely no recollection of meeting me in the emergency room the day before. Since he was then back to his baseline. So his wife felt when I was in the room that he had returned to baseline and that he was making sense. And so I did my exam again and his exam findings that I had noticed, the inattention, the difficulty with recall, those were all gone. So he was 100% back to baseline in terms of a normal uh, neurologic exam. So I pressed him a little bit about what he remembered about what had happened over the last 24 hours. So the last thing he actually remembered of the day prior was eating breakfast that morning. He had absolutely no recollection of anything that happened from the time he ate breakfast, which the wife said was around 9 a.m., until the next evening around 10 or 11 the wife had stayed with him in the hospital so she said you know around 10 or 11 he was able to like more you know say i remember i'm in the hospital you know and remembered but he had absolutely no recollection of being in the emergency room riding in the ambulance from the house he had no recollection of walking his dog during that time when they were outside and he was acting normally
2: so based on what chris is saying that seeing him the next day he is essentially completely amnestic for the day prior where he doesn't recall anything since after eating breakfast, right, Chris? Correct.
3: Right, so that does kind of go back to my initial differential and transient global amnesia goes a lot higher because he has a very distinct last memory and then his next memory and he has a period of lost time in which he was acting pretty much like a TGA patient and asking the same questions over and over again inability to store short-term memories during that time and normal eeg during that time and then he it cleared in less than 24 hours so it's pretty classic
2: yep i agree that is the somnolence right
3: yeah that's the only weird thing
2: and he doesn't have a history of like or anything like that
1: no not that we're aware of at least So he did have his MRI about an hour after I had seen him that morning, and his MRI was also completely normal. In particular, there was no uh, flare hyperintensity in either hippocampus or any sort of lesions, old strokes. You know, he had some small chronic microvascular disease, as all 60-year-olds will have, but nothing out of the ordinary for him in terms of his MRI.
2: Interesting case. So what did you give him a diagnosis of then?
1: So, we told him, obviously, I think as we just alluded to, that most of his presentation was consistent with transient global amnesia. But the weird thing was the somnolence, you know, which the daughter, who is a nurse, was insistent that he was not, like, you know, that she basically had to sternal rub him to arouse him, which we said would be the only really atypical feature. So, we said that despite one normal EEG, we couldn't 100% exclude the possibility of seizures, but that we excluded the fact that, you know, he had no structural lesions that would predispose him to being higher risk for a future seizure and his EEG being normal, as I think you already alluded to, also portends a lower risk of seizure recurrence. So we did say that there is a possibility that this could happen again. And if it does in the same pattern that we probably would consider even this first vent to be an epileptic seizure as opposed to transient global amnesia. But at this point, there wasn't enough to definitively say that it was or was not a seizure. So we basically discharged him with a diagnosis of TGA, but leaving the door open to the possibility that if this were to recur in the future that epilepsy would have to be a strong consideration and that he may require an anti seizure medication in the future. Yeah, and I so. Agree.
2: Likely TGA with some atypical features, but being said that you would just continue to monitor the patient off anti epileptic drugs. It doesn't warrant treatment. And then if another event were to occur, any episode of loss of consciousness, right, that could not be explained by something else like vasovagal or a cardiac arrhythmia or other something other than those things, then you would consider it to be an underlying epileptic process. And he would likely need to be started on medications at that time. He didn't have any emotionality, no emotional ability to it.
1: Nope.
2: It's just interesting because at home, they say that he was completely out. And it sounds like what they describe is a slow kind of recovery back to his baseline. I mean, it's possible that he could have had a transient global amnesia and then from there had an epileptic seizure afterwards while he was sleeping. And so maybe he had both, Um, it's kind of
0: unclear. Great case everybody, thank you. Uh, A couple of learning pearls just to summarize. So uh, when someone presents with a sudden onset, uh, episodic neurologic deficit with quick resolution, we often think of seizure uh, as well as vascular events such as a TIA, Uh, a diagnosis of exclusion is always migraine headache. Uh, History is key in these cases and it's really important to get a clear picture of what happened ideally with uh, corroborating stories if possible. Uh, a couple of things on his clinical exam. So we often think of memory as being a temporal lobe function, but really it's sort of widely distributed once you get to the encoding phase. And so uh, an error in encoding uh, is really not as specific. Our program director would be upset if I didn't mention that impaired attention does localize to the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, and that's your, yeah. uh, so that's your sequencing, organization, abstraction, and planning but also that these exam findings postictally do not indicate necessarily where the seizure came from, only the areas that are affected. And then it's important in patients who don't resolve after a seizure to baseline quickly to consider either non-convulsive status epilepticus or ongoing subclinical seizures as these can mimic a postictal state. And then lastly, uh, an important change in the ILAE definition for epilepsy. And you can now diagnose a patient who's had one seizure and a focal abnormality on an MRI or EEG is having epilepsy and therefore initiates anti-seizure drug treatment. So thank you again to Dr. Farouk for joining us. And thanks, uh, Doctors Trainer and McAlpine, as always, for a great case. And we'll see you all next time.
2: Thanks, guys.